Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 96. Listen to a word from God. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless God's name. Tell of the Lord's salvation from day to day. Declare God's glory among the nations, the Lord's marvelous works among all the peoples. Say among the nations, the ever-living God reigns. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. God will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the wisdom of the ages, for she is coming, for she is coming to judge the earth and will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. Our second text this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 21. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them and said, Where are you? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, and among all wild creatures, upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve. She was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the woman and the man and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 
A friend of mine the other day told me that her four-year-old son came home from preschool in a tizzy. He ran up to her and said, Mom, Jefferson said the F word at school today. So my friend kind of panicked and asked a few more questions, and pretty soon she found out what the F word was. Fantastic! My friend's son had heard this word and had thought that this was the bad F word. He'd gotten it a little bit wrong. I think that this is something that we do too. We make the same mistake that my friend's son made, not with the F word, but with the S word. We, uh, in a more progressive Christian church, shy away from a certain S-word because of all the negative connotations that it brings, and we treat it like a bad, bad word. Can anybody guess the S-word I'm thinking of? Be careful now, you are in church. Sin, exactly. Sin. It's a loaded word. And I think in many Christian circles, it has been used in some really unhelpful ways to bring about levels of guilt and shame that force people into a kind of moral policing. But the word is so much more than that. It's an important one, and it's important that we don't throw it out with the bathwater of our beliefs. Last week, Pastor Garrett started with the beginning of this story of Genesis chapter 3. In it, Eve and Adam eat the fruit. Their eyes are open. They become self-aware, self-conscious. They recognize they're naked and they hide. And we continue in this story today, going to the end of chapter 3, and we know that this story as a whole is given that title, The Fall. That word itself, The Fall, is not in the Bible passage itself, but it's in many headings that have been added to our Bibles over the centuries. And it is said to be an origin story of sin. Last week, Pastor Garrett challenged us to reimagine that story not just as origin of downfall and death, but as an ancient story about self-awareness and self-consciousness and the consequences that come with that. He reminded us that our starting point as human beings is not chapter 3. It's chapters 1 and 2 where human beings receive an original blessing from God. It is very good. And from that blessing, we have this responsibility that comes with being people that make decisions, that are self-aware, and that see the world. So today, this story picks up with the first humans hiding in the trees. They hear God walking in the garden. They're ashamed, aware of their nakedness, and so they cower behind trees. And God asks, where are you? Emily spoke about this verse last fall, and she gave such a helpful encouragement that sometimes we read this question as condemnation, where are you? But actually, I think it's more of an invitation for connection. Where did you go? Come walk with me. Let's figure this out together. 
God questions Eve and Adam about what happened. They play the blame game for a while, and then God speaks of consequences. And we often read this as uh, curses sent to the first humans. But if you go back and look at the text clearly, you'll see that the two curses that God speaks are actually directed at the serpent and at the ground. Now, there are consequences for the first human beings, but life in this new self-aware state does not mean individual curses for the human beings. It involves navigating a world that isn't perfect, a world where the earth doesn't always do what we want it to do, a world where we are aware of our own mortality, that we will die, a world where there's pain, a world where our decisions sometimes make things worse instead of better, a world where sin exists. So I want to think about that S word a little bit more today. And just think for yourself for a moment. If you had to define sin in just three words, what might they be? Think about it in your head. Three words. How would you define sin? Some of us might be thinking sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Technically, I suppose that's four, or four and a half, depending on how you spell rock and roll. But many of us grew up with that kind of understanding of what sin is. It's simply a personal moral failing, a bad decision that we can avoid if we try, try hard enough. That might be part of it, but I want to share some of my other favorite definitions of sin that are all three or four words long. There's one theologian who describes sin as a denial of love, whether that's from a person, from a corporation, from a situation, a denial of love. There's an ancient mystic who described sin as drying up, carelessness. Another says that sin is using freedom to diminish life rather than enhance it. And another says sin is acting as anything other than a co-creator with God. Sin can be personal, it is personal, but it is also communal, and it's about the whole world. For so long, we've looked to Genesis 3 to tell us why the world isn't perfect. But I want us to continue on with the challenge that Pastor Garrett gave us and to not just think about the why, why is there pain, why is there sin? I want to ask it another way. What if we look at this story and ask, what happens now? What happens in the midst of an imperfect world? What happens when humans are self-aware and make decisions and participate in sin? What if we look for the what now instead of just the why? As it turns out, we see in the text today that the curse in Genesis 3 does not negate the original blessing. Sin does not negate the original blessing. 
And God demonstrates that in the most beautiful way. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skins for the woman and the man and clothed them. God clothed them. You might remember from the part that comes right before what we read today that when the first humans discovered that they were naked, they first made for themselves some clothing out of fig leaves. It was very resourceful. It was what was around, what they were surrounded by. And so they fashioned some kind of clothing to hide what they were ashamed of behind fig leaves. And I imagine that would have sufficed for a time, but as you might imagine, away from the vine, that fig leaf would eventually shrivel. It wouldn't hold up very well against wind or rain or sticks, and it would probably have to be tended to and replaced over and over and over again. It sort of reminds me of those uh, super cheap Halloween costumes that you can buy at the drugstore that are made of thin plastic. They have these masks and there's a rubber band that goes around them. Do you know these costumes that I'm talking about? And that rubber band is either way too tight or way too loose, and it never makes it all the way through trick-or-treating. By the end of it, the mask is, is ripped and you're safety pinned into something, and it has just fallen apart. It was always meant to be temporary. And here God is in the garden with these two And even as God is explaining the consequences of this new reality, there's this beautiful moment of grace. God becomes the first tailor, the first seamstress, and makes them clothes out of skins. God responds directly to the thing that they are most ashamed of and doesn't just generically say, oh, it's okay, I still love you. God gives them practical love in the form of something lasting. If we look to Genesis 3 for the what now and not just the why, we can see that even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of a difficult world, God stitches together a gift that lasts. God's care extends even to the places where we feel most vulnerable and even at times when it's us that are the reason we're there. God encourages us to take off the things that don't last, that don't fit, and to put on the grace that can only be received as a gift. Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about this in a really helpful way. She notices what I mentioned, that sin in more liberal churches tends to be a bad word that we don't really talk about. It's equated with low self-esteem, and that sin in more conservative churches tends to be just about being morally pure. But either way, she points out, sin becomes something that we can control and try to manage ourselves. She says it's not helpful to imagine sin as only something that we control. It's it's actually at the times when we recognize our own limitations and mortality and get out of the business of sin management so that we can let God be God for us. Get out of the business of sin management so that God can be God to us. 
Sin management looks a lot like sewing together shriveling fig leaves that won't last. And allowing God to be God for us looks like receiving a gift of clothing that will last. We know that scripture talks about clothing in other places, and one of my favorites is Paul speaking to the Colossians and saying that we have to take off the kinds of clothes that do not imitate Jesus, clothes like greed and lying and slander, and instead to put on new clothes, to put on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, and above all, love. We all know that you have to take off your old clothes in order for the new ones to fit properly. So we live in a world where sin exists. We participate in it. So what now? We're invited to take off the temporary and to accept the gift of God's grace. Garrett and I are both pretty bad at asking for help. Sorry to throw you under the bus, too. We're working on it. We're both working on it. But last Sunday, uh, after the Visioning Summit, I was uh, leaving the church late. It had been a long day, and I was carrying probably four or five giant bags and a box, all the things that we had used to make the Vision Summit so great, and I was sort of struggling to walk to the door. And our friend Jerry, who I'm also going to call out here, saw me struggling and said, can I, can I help you? And I said, no, I got it. I got it. I'm balanced. I'm fine. And Jerry, in his beautifully pastoral way, said, no, I know you can do it, but you're the one that's always saying we're a team here. So let me help you. So I passed off a couple of bags. He helped me out to the car. He loaded them in the trunk and watched me go on my way. I was holding on to my self-sufficiency, I was holding on to those fig leaves, and I was offered a gift of camaraderie and teamwork, a gift that lasts. I have a friend who made a mistake in her life and hurt someone who she loved, and uh, after some time, this person that she hurt offered her forgiveness. And she was not able to accept it because she was holding on so tight to the guilt and the shame of what she had done. She was clinging to those fig leaves when she was being offered garments that last. We all do this, don't we? Sin exists. So now what? Where might God be extending you a gift like those first clothes? Take off the fig leaves and accept the gift that lasts, knowing that God loves you and that the original blessing still stands. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for team members. Thank you for clothing. Thank you for loving us even in the midst of all of the ways and the places that we dry up. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.